I mean, this is really what church is all about. And um, I feel a it, it feels a little strange to be here in front of you talking about the church while church has already been in progression for half an hour. And if it was up to me, I would just kind of kick back and just do a little bit more of what we were just doing. And even statistics are really an important part of it. I mean, it's important to take some time and to think about who we are as a church, what our strengths are, what our weaknesses are, so we can, once again, we can, with the things that God has given us, we can work with that and be good stewards of that. But just in the, going back to the statistics, uh, I don't know if you've ever been to an AA meeting. I am Denny, LAED, campus pastor in Carpentria, and I used to be actively disengaged. Hi, Dave. <laughs> Top that off with the weakness of this church as not being able to match people up with what they ought to be doing in this church. James said, I got the right thing for you. You're actively disengaged and you don't know what your strengths are. I think you can teach and you're right up on the stage. <laughs> and that I really believe that that is the best thing to do. Uh, so for you actively disengaged people, um, be engaged, really. Uh, I, I can recommend it, I mean, because I really used to be disengaged, and it is in being active part of the body that you really start to grow and where God really starts to work in your life. So, um, having that said, we have gone through the Apostles' Creed for the last three weeks. This is week number four, if you have lost count, and um, we have been talking about some, some great things. Now, before we get into the Creed, um, I just... You know, this creed has been in existence for, for hundreds of years, really almost thousands of years, almost 2,000 years. Started like, they say that it started right after uh, the church started in the book of Acts is when the first parts of this creed came about. And as part of a, a baptismal services, they started to recite these words, uh, really stating what it was that they believed in. And when I was listening again to this song this morning, uh, how firm a foundation. 1787 is when that song was written. I kind of had to look it up when I was sitting there. But what we have been doing in these last couple of weeks is looking back at the tradition of the church for a really good reason. Because we are, just as we were listening about in, during the offering in the song, we are part of a group of saints. We are grafted in this kingdom of God that is not just taking place right now, but it started right at the creation and God has been calling people out ever since. And we are part of that. And I think it's very valuable for us to spend some time looking back at our history and be encouraged by it and see what God is able to do throughout history. Amen. Now the first, three, the first three weeks we talked about the Trinity. First week, we talked about God, the Father Almighty. Second week, about Jesus, our Savior and our Lord. Third week, the Holy Spirit. And implicit in those three weeks, we talked about the Trinity. God as one person, uniquely one, and at the same time distinct in three persons. Today, we will be talking about the church. But before I do that, I just want to go back 
to the creed, what we have been talking about a lot of time, what, what we have been stating straight from the beginning is, I believe in the God the Father Almighty. I believe in this. I believe in that. And this word belief actually comes from the Latin. The creed was written in, uh, in Latin. And the word that was used here is the word credo. That's actually where we get the word creed from. And to give you a literal definition of what that word means, it is a set of fundamental beliefs or a guiding principle. And as such, it's closely related to faith. You see, not only are we persuaded that these truths, that these things are true, that God is indeed the creator and that he is indeed almighty. And not only are we persuaded of the fact that Jesus is indeed the son of God, but there is also a guidance in that. It's will, when we really put our belief in this, it's not just a mere thing that we will be thinking about this, but we'll actually act upon it. We'll put our dependence on it. We'll be transformed and shaped by this. In the same way as I think that I have faith or I believe that this chair will carry me when I sit on it, I believe that when I say that Jesus is the Son of God, it will have profound implications for my life. And I hope that that is something you get out of this creed, that it is not something that you're merely in agreement with, but it is actually something that in your life you will be living out. Now, James and Jake have been constantly ending with the questions, now what? Yes, I believe in the Holy Spirit. Now what? I believe in God the Father Almighty. Now what? Today we'll be doing the same thing for the church and hopefully we'll be able to help you making some applications to the things that we are talking about. Now let's take a look at this week's part of the creed. And let's just read it out together. I believe in the Holy Church Universal, the communion of saints. Now, I don't know what kind of tradition you come out of. Uh, maybe some of you are uh, people with a Catholic background or a Lutheran background, and as part of their church tradition, they recite this creed pretty much on a weekly basis. If you were coming out of an, more of an evangelical uh, background, this might be the first time that you actually uh, have seen this creed. If you Google this creed, and I have done that because I just wanted to make sure that what Pastor Jake and James are telling you is actually right, <laughs> you see, we're, we're, lifting, we're lifting Google to the authority right here. I don't know if you always need to do that, but um, you will find that many times this creed is being recited in a slightly different way. And rather than saying, I believe in the Holy Church Universal, the creed actually says, anybody know? I believe in the Catholic Church the Holy Catholic Church. Now, the reason why I think a lot of the, the Protestants or the evangelical denominations change that, it's not really a change, it's just a translation. Catholic really means universal. And this creed was already around before the Roman Catholic Church was around. But I think just because of the fact that there might be some confusion, most of the uh, of the Protestant denominations have changed this to universal. However, the fact that it is still in there, universal or Catholic, I think is a very important thing because as we have discussed in the past, the importance of the creed is not only what it says, it's also what it doesn't say. And when we talk about 
I believe in the holy, um, the holy universal church, or I believe in the church, holy, uh, the, whatever, the church universal. What is important to realize is that we're not talking about a building here. We're not talking about a church that in the same way as the Jews had their tabernacle and their temple and their synagogues in the provinces as the Muslims have their mosques and as we as Christians have our churches. That is not what this creed is talking about. It's also not talking about the geographical region or a geographical church. It's not talking about we believe in the church in Ephesus or Philippi or Santa Barbara or Carpinteria. We believe in the church universal. It's definitely not talking about a denomination. I believe in the holy church of the Nazarene. I believe in the holy Presbyterian church or the Lutheran church or the Methodist church or whatever your background might have been. It's not saying that. You see, although those are all expressions of the church, the church universal is way bigger than that. For most people, however, church is an irrelevant place. It's a place where old people hang out with blankets over their knees and they sing weird songs. <laughs> they have choirs. They have this guy up front that talks in these and those and brothers and sisters and whatever else weird stuff he does. The thing, though, is this is not just the opinion of people outside the church. I think it's the opinion of a lot of people inside the church. And what I want to do today is I actually want to encourage you. What I really hope that you get from today's message is that you will be daring to ask, what is it that I'm doing here Sunday after Sunday, week after week, and why am I even here? When I went to college in my second year, I had a professor who taught a class Friday morning, and that is a lousy time to teach a class because kids, student, college kids go out on Thursday night. And I was no different, so I used to go out on Thursday night. So I get into this class, basically getting the sleep out of my eyes. And he, I mean, he started the most wonderful way you can possibly imagine. He says, I'm going to give you 10 good reasons not to come to my class anymore. So he started out, he says, the first reason obvious. You guys want to sleep in. And we know that Thursday is a good night to go out, so you want to sleep in. That's the first reason for you not to come. Second reason for you not to come is the fact that most of the things I'm teaching is actually, are actually in the book and in the syllabus as well. Third one, my test is not going to be too difficult. You probably will be able to score at least a C- minus when you don't get here. Fourth reason, my class is really no prerequisite to any of the other classes that are being taught at this university. <laughs> and on and on till we hit all ten of them. Now, what I want to do today, and this will require a little bit of participation from your side, I want to come up with a list of ten good reasons not to come to church. So, and I realize that the people with the best reasons are probably not here. <laughs> so, so we're going to get somewhat of a weak, weak list. But for me, I think a good reason for me not to come is that this is my only day off. It's my only day off. My friends are doing cool things on Sunday. Actually, the surf is good this morning. I checked it out. <laughs> Any other reasons why, good reasons not to come to church on Sunday? Sleep in. Sleep in? I can. Wow, you guys. Hmm? 
You can go Saturday night nowadays, yeah? <laughs> Absolutely, you can come twice too, and some people do that. Yeah? Good one? Football. Football. There you go. Over right now, no excuse. Um, NASCAR racing. <laughs> exactly. Ride motorcycles. I mean, we can come up with some good reasons. Really, we can. And if you did not come up with any good reasons, I think a lot of churches will actually give you a good reason to drive right by if when you want to pull into the parking lot. I have a couple of slides that I want to show you, and uh, I, I'm not convinced that they will pull me into the parking lot. Try Jesus. If you don't like him, the devil will take you back. <laughs> I mean, is that even a great invite? Staying in bed shouting, oh God, doesn't constitute going to church. What about this one? Free coffee and everlasting life. Yes, membership has its privileges. I go for the free coffee, I think. You give God the credit, now give God the cash. <laughs> I hope you stocked up on your wallet when you move into that church. Cars are not the only thing recalled by their maker. <laughs> I actually happen to drive one of those recalled cars, and uh, I'd much rather being recalled by my maker. But why pay for GPS? Jesus gives directions for free. Can't argue with that. And then Jesus died for MySpace. I did that one especially for the younger folks in, in heaven, although I know it has to be Facebook now. But he died for MySpace, and I really like this one. <laughs> Christmas is easier to spell than Hanukkah. And just hold this, hold this up one second. And before you laugh too hard, that right there on the bottom is actually a Nazarene symbol. <laughs> so that brings the argument of I believe in the holy Nazarene church like pretty much flat on its face. I mean, if this is not a good reason to come to church, that Christmas is easier to spell than Hanukkah, I mean, I cannot give you any better reasons than that. Really, I mean, we're laughing about this, we're giving some reasons, but I think the reason why my college professor did this is when we think about reasons not to come to church or not to come to college or not to come to whatever, we're kind of forced to think about why are we here? What is it really that we're doing? Why are we going through the motions? Why are we spending our Sundays down here where indeed, indeed we really can spend it more wisely, maybe, or in different ways. Wisely, maybe not the right word, but in different ways. Um, why do we do this? I think if I were to ask you guys um, to write an essay about what the church is, I'm pretty sure I'm going to get a lot of different answers back. And in reality, I think that the majority of us will not be able to score very well. And I don't know, I'm not saying this to make you feel bad. I think we, in the as, as teachers have not always done a good job in teaching you what church is really all about. But I think if you are honest and want to take some time to think about what you are doing here, I think God will reveal himself in a mighty way and will affirm the fact that this is a good place to be. Amen. Today, I, uh, the, the text that I want to look at is... Um, is in uh, the book of Ephesians. Great book on the church, written by the Apostle Paul. Um, I, I am in chapter, chapter 2, and I will be reading verse 1 through uh, 13, and then um, 
from and then the from 18 on to the end. Text is uh, on the screen as well. Um, if you would be so kind to stand with me, I'm not going to ask you to read along with me because it's a little long. But as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the gravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. But because of his great mercy, uh, because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace that you have been saved, and God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace that you have been saved, through faith, and this not from yourself, it is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast, for we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision that done in the body by the hands of men, remember that all that time you were separated from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. For he himself, uh, and then on to uh, verse 18, I think. Yeah, okay, just wanna make sure. For uh, through him, we have uh, both have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling place in which God lives by his spirit. The word of the Lord. You know, before I go, go in, uh, in, in some, some, some points, I, first of all, I, I forgot to do that from the beginning, but I want to apologize for my accent. I know that maybe some of you who don't know me are wondering, uh, why is this guy talking so funny, and, and, and why am I not able to understand him? <laughs> um, another reason not to go to church. Another reason not to go to church. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm originally from Holland. And uh, just like Arnold Schwarzenegger, I've not been able to shed the accent yet. And I was, I was painfully reminded of that the other day when um, we actually had our small group Bible study. And we have a guy, some of you know him, it's Josh, who actually teaches Sunday school here. Uh, and he has been racing bicycles. I mean, he's actually not only just going out and ride, he actually participates in the races. So he had just finished one race, and I'm asking him, so kind of out of the blue, Josh, when is your next race? And he looks at me, and he is not till August. And I'm like, not till August, that's long. He says, yeah, yeah, because 
I mean, that's when I'm nine years at my, at my employer. That's when I get my raise. And I, could, <laughs> and I could see him think, like, why does he want to know when my next raise is? Is he checking my tithing? My tithing, is he want to make sure that from August on, the numbers are going to be a little higher? So if, if you have some issues, please talk to me at the end of the service. I'm more than willing to explain. And, and hopefully we can set, uh, because I don't want to, uh, I don't want to teach things that are not unbiblical or not true. Um, but first of all, going back to the book of Ephesians, I think the first thing that we ought to realize about the church is that the church is not a human invention, but it's a divine institution. It's not a human invention, it is a divine institution. You see, the church is not a human society based on voluntary membership a Christian Rotary Club, so to speak, or a Christian Elk Lodge. I have nothing to do on Sunday? Great, you have nothing to do on Sunday either. I like to sing, man, I play the bass. I know a little bit about preaching. You are a good audience. Let's get together and do this thing together. Let's have our Christian equivalent of the bowling club and just spend some great time with each other. That's not how the church started. You see, the, orig the origin of the church lays in the calling of God to his people. He called us out. The only thing that separates us is his calling us. And the only way that we are identifiable is his grace. And this has been his initiative all through the ages. It has been his initiative when he took apart Abraham and said, I will make you a nation of many. It worked on through the Jewish people who were also called his chosen people. And after Jesus walked the earth and died for us and got raised again, God extended this calling to the Gentile world and we are all included in that calling. You see, in Ephesians 2, 12 and 13, he says this very well. He says, remember that at that time, you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ, you who once were far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. You see, this is also where the holiness aspect of the creed comes in. Remember what we said about the creed? We believe in the holy church universal. I mean, this church is not holy because I showed up. This church is not holy because you are here. I mean, if we are here, a collective body of sinners, how can the church ever be holy? You see, the church is holy because God called it to be holy. The church is holy because God said, these are my people and I set them apart, which is really the literal translation of holiness. I set them apart for a work unto me. And it's the only reason why we can call ourselves holy. He phrases this, Paul phrases this very well in verse 21, where he says this, In him, talking about Jesus, us being under his authority, in him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. The second point that I want to make about the church is that membership... Huh? Because if we talk about the church, I mean, we kind of want to know how do you get in? And who is it? 
I mean, I wanted to know that. The thing that I want to say is that membership is based on a spiritual union and not on an external commitment. Membership is based on a spiritual union and not on an external commitment. You see the question, and Paul phrases this by the expression of being in Christ, partaker of Christ, his body, partaker of what his redemptive work, being in Christ, can we can kind of translate that to becoming a member or taking part in what is going on. And what makes us partaker of that? What brings us into Christ? Well, just as I have given you a couple of reasons not to come to church, I'm going to give you a couple of reasons as well, or a couple of things that will not get you in Christ, that will not make you a member of the church. And I'm talking about the church universal. I'm not talking about this local body, not our church. Coming to Sunday, or coming to church every Sunday will not make you partaker of Jesus. It will not uh, make you a member of, uh, the uni- of the universal church. Now, I'm not telling this to discourage you, uh, because I do believe that the church can be a grace of God, a means by which he helps people find a relationship with his son Jesus. So if you're at that point, if you're like, I've been coming to church and I just want to know who this Jesus guy is, but I have not given him my life yet, I'm not saying like, please get out of this building. I'm saying, no, let us come alongside you and help you. But what you ultimately are looking for is not a group of people, but it's a person. It's the person of Jesus Christ. The other thing that will not bring you, make you a member is being active in church. I mean, you can set up and break down and teach classes and do everything in the book, but that by itself will not make you a member of this universal church. Being baptized in the church does not make you a member of this church. There might be some people here that are coming from a background of child or infant baptism. And some of the denominations actually believe that that makes you, that brings you into the body, that very act of baptism. And I, uh, did not all, I disagree with that. Um, and we can get into that if you, if you feel different about it. We can definitely talk about that. But what I mean is just the act of baptism, unless there is conviction that goes along with it, unless there is a surrendering and an accepting of who you are and what you can become through Jesus Christ, There is no such thing as becoming a member of this universal church. And this is the real kicker. You can, becoming a member of the local church does not always constitute to being a member of the church universal. And for the people, I mean, we we just finished up a series again down here uh, called Discovering uh, Coast Community Church, which is a class that is taught at this church in which we invite people to kind of come check us out, see who we are as a church, and to contemplate membership of this church. And for the pe- most, a lot, of pe- a lot of you have taken this class, and does anybody know what the first lesson is? It's, it, normally it's broken up in four sections. Anybody remember what the first one is? Salvation. Salvation. And really that makes a lot of sense, because salvation is the part where you become a member of the church universal. 
And because we as a local body believe that we're an expression of this church universal, it makes sense to, for you to be first part of the universal church before you can become a part of this local church as a member. So what does get you in this church? Paul brings up three points in this, in this passage of Ephesians, and I'm not going to read all of it because uh, it's a little redundant. We just read it. But I think what is important to realize is, first, that you, what you were, spiritual dead, disobedient, and under the wrath of God. I mean, this is the predicament of humankind. And this is not something we read about in the newspaper, and this is not something we like to talk about, but we are worthy of severe punishment because we are not able to stack up against the holy God. We have all fallen short of his glory. You as much as I. And until we come to the second point, which he tells us, consider what Christ did for us, until we come to accept that, we cannot be part of this universal church. Now, what did Christ do for us? He died for us. He took our punishment, the punishment that you and I deserved. And I know that for some of you, that might be a little hard of a, a, a concept that is hard to swallow because we hear it all the time. How can a loving God be so cruel? And the reason is because this loving God is also a just God, a God who cannot shine away from sin who cannot say, I am holy and you are not, but I'm going to take you in anyway. But out of his love and out of his desire to have a relationship with you, out of his grace, not because you deserved it, not because you were worthy of it, not because of these wonderful things you do in life, but just because God wants to, he provided a way out. And he sacrificed his son for your sin and for my sin so that we can come to a point where we can partake in this universal church, where we are part of the kingdom of God because of what he has done. The last point that I want to make is the church is an assembly under the authority of Jesus. You see, although this question of who is Jesus and what did he do for me and how can I respond to that act uh, and that sacrifice of his, Although that is an individual question, and that is something that, you, that every one of us has to settle for himself between him and God, we do not live in Christ solidarily. We're not just by ourselves. From, from verse 19 on, and I'm going to read this one more time, you will see that all of the references are plural. And the interesting thing is, when, when I pick this text, I think some of you, when you were reading this, it's like, this text is not even about the church. I thought you were going to talk about the church. This text is about salvation. This, talk, this, this text is about grace. This text is about what God did for us. But the interesting thing is that from that on, it funnels right into the church. And he says this in 1999, consequently, because of the choices and because of the grace of God and, and your hope uh, in him, he says this, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household. Now, 
This is the NIV translation, which is kind of the standard that we're using here in uh, the Church of the Nazarene. Uh, if you were to look this verse up in the King James Version, or in the New King James Version, or the New American Standard Version, what it actually would say is this, now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. So when we talk about the communion of the saints, which is the, the, the latter part of the Greek that we're at today, that is what we're talking about, that you become a member of the household of God, just as the saints that have done that before you, just as the saints that are sitting right next to you right now, just as the saints that will come in the years to come, we are uniquely grafted. And it's an ongoing thing. This is not just something from the past, because this is the God who says about, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I am the God of the living, not of the dead. So this is something that will be going on, and this is an internal kingdom that we're talking about. Having that said, the church, the real church, is thus invisible. It shows up in different formats. It shows up like this group of people here, or the group of people down the street, or the group of people that are playing too much noisy music for you, but are still loving Jesus. This is how the church manifests itself. In the Hebrew language, there's two translations, there's two words for the word community or assembly. The first word is the word edah. And what that describes is a community that is based on heritage, on ethnicity, on cultural identity. And the second word that is being used is the word kalal. And the word kalal is the group of people who base their community on the calling of God. They're separated. It is this word, the word kalal, that actually is translated in the Greek as the word kurakos. And kurakos is where we get the word church from. So why am I saying this? Once again, it kind of illustrates the fact that our identity lays in the calling of God. And what I hope for you today is that you are not part of the Eidah without being part of the Kalal. That you not just show up here without being in Christ. That you not just go to Sunday school or you bring your kids here because we can straighten them out in a job that you miserably be failing in. And, <laughs> and I'm saying this because I know I will be there in a couple of years. Actually, I'm already getting there. There's a lot of good reasons to come to church. There really is. But there's only one truthful reason, and that is the calling and the invitation of a holy God who sacrificed his son for you. Now, what does that mean for us? The first thing is we got to settle if we're in or out. And I know that sounds extremely blunt, but Ephesians really is very clear about this. Got to call people holy, separated, and this is what, because they responded to what Jesus did for them. If you don't know if you ever made that choice, or is that something that you are contemplating, you know, I know that's an individual choice. It, we have, we just started this, uh, we have a couple of people that after service meet right here in front of the altars, and um, they want to pray with you. 
I mean, if this is something that you have not settled yet, I would urge you to do so. I really do. Because all the other stuff doesn't make any sense if you don't get this part settled. So if you want to talk about it, I think all, uh, all the pastors are open and more than willing to discuss that. There's a lot of other people in this body that are capable to explain to you once more why it is so important to put your faith in Jesus Christ. But settle that issue. And when you do, you realize that being part of the church is not an option. You see, when Paul writes about when you take this decision, when you do this, then you're automatically being built into this holy temple where his spirit is building things up. It's not, the question that you might have to answer is, is this the right part, part, body to be in? Or do I like it better over there? That's a, that's a valid question. But you are a member of the church, and that is not optional. The second thing that I want to uh, bring up is that the church is not ours, but it's God's. And we know this, but so often we don't act like this. You know, we, we think that we know it. And whether that's that manifests itself in discussions like the carpet needs to be this color or the garden needs to be that big or the parking lot needs to be this shape or whatever that might be. And these are all fellow things. The, the, the idea is that we still realize that God not only called the church into existence but sacrificed his son for that and ultimately wants to take us back into marriage to him. Now, I know that I'm using a lot of words that maybe, uh, or a lot of illustrations uh, of, of, of the way that God views the church that you might not be familiar with yet. But what it all pictures is this beautiful picture of joining you to himself in communion. James already talked about this last week. When we realize that we are not in charge of the church, but that God is, we feel comfortable with the fact that the Holy Spirit convinces people of their sin, and that is not our job. You see, the Holy Spirit is already at work, and with a big word in our church tradition, we call this provenient grace, that the Holy Spirit of God is already at work in your life, drawing you to the person of Jesus Christ before you have made this decision yet. And that is his responsibility to convict you of sin. So it's not ours to tell people how lousy they are, how miserable they behave, and how for sure they will be going to hell. Atonement is his responsibility. We cannot give you anything that makes you right with God. Only Jesus can. I mean, I can be nice to you, but that's about it. Um, growth of the church is his responsibility. And this is especially an important question for church plans, and now we are active in Carpentria. This is a question that we are wrestling with. Because on one hand, you want to evaluate health and good ministry with an increase, an increase in numbers. And don't get me wrong, I believe that something that is healthy will grow. I mean, if we are 40 years down the road, are still looking at the same people, then I think there might be something wrong with what's going on in this church. But it kind of brings you back to the question what church really is. And once again, that is my, that's my main point today. The other thing is that God can work through others. And that's a tough one, especially for people in leadership in the church to realize. 
because we want to do it all ourselves, because we really don't have too much faith in you. We think that you will mess things up and you will teach people wrong doctrine and theological principles. So that's why we do it all ourselves and that is why we work 80 hours a week and that is why half of the pastors ultimately end up being completely burned out. But you see, the Holy Spirit can change people and can instruct people. And I think it's a sin for us to think that we have to do it all ourselves. Because ultimately, it's God who does it anyway. Third point I want to bring up is do not let humanity get in the way of the divine nature of the church. Do not let humanity get in the way of the divine nature of the church. And to illustrate this, I just want to read a little portion of a book that was written by uh, Max Lucado. And if you are familiar with this book, it's called In the Grip of Grace, you know this story. But I think it illustrates real well this balance between the, 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 the divine and humanity. And it goes like this. He says, God has enlisted us in the Navy and placed us on his ship. The boat has one purpose, to carry us safely to the other shore. This is not a cruise ship. We are not called to a life of leisure. We are called to a life of service. Each of us has a different task. Some tasks, some concerned with those who are drowning or snatching people from the water. Others occupied with the enemy, uh, are occupied with enemies, so they man the canons of prayer and worship. Still others devote themselves to the crew, feeding and training the crew members. Though different, we are all the same. Each can tell of a personal encounter with the captain, for each has received a personal call. He found us among the shanties of the seaport and invited us to follow him. Our fate was born at the sight of his fondness, and so we went. We each followed him across the gangplank of his grace onto the same boat. There is one captain and one destination. Though the battle is fierce, the boat is safe, for our captain is God, and the ship will not sink. For that, there is no concern. There is concern, however, regarding the disharmony of the crew. When we first boarded, we assumed that the crew was made up of others like us. But as we have wandered these desks, we have, decks, we have encountered curious comforts with curious appearances. Some were uniforms we have never seen, sporting styles we have never witnessed. Why do you, do you look the way you do, we ask them. Funny, they replied. We were about to ask the same of you. The variety of dress is not nearly as disturbing as the plethora of opinions. There is a group, for example, who clusters every morning for serious study. They promote rigid discipline and somber expressions. Serving the captain is serious business, they explain. It is no coincidence that they, coincidence that they tend to congregate around the stern. There is another regiment deeply devoted to prayer. Not only do they believe in prayer, they believe in prayer by kneeling. For that reason, you always know where to locate them. They are at the bow of the ship. And then there are a few stancy who believe that real wine should be used in the Lord's Supper. You will find them on the port side. Still another group has positioned themselves near the engine. They spent hours examining the nuts and bolts of the boat. They have been known to go below deck and not come up for days. They are occasionally are criticized by those who linger on top of the deck, feeling the, feeling the wind in their hair and their sun in their face. It is not what you learn, those on the top side argue. It is what you feel that matters. 
Some things, once you're on the boat, you can't get off. Others said you'd be foolish to go overboard, but the choice is yours. Some believe you volunteer for service. Others believe that you were destined for service before the ship was even built. Some predict this great storm of tribulation that will strike before we dock. Others will say it won't hit until we get safely ashore. There are those who speak to the captain in a personal language, and there are those who think such languages are extinct. There are those who think the officers should wear robes, and there are those who think there should be no officers at all. There are those who think that we are all officers and we should all wear robes. Oh, how we tend to cluster. And then there is the issue of the weekly meeting in which the captain is thanked for his words, and all agree on its importance, but few agree on his nature. Some want it loud, others quiet. Some want ritual, others spontaneity. Some want to celebrate so that they can meditate. Others want to meditate so that they can celebrate. Some want, to go, uh, some want a meeting for those who have gone overboard. Others want to reach those overboard, but without going overboard or neglecting those on board. The consequence is a rocky boat. There's trouble on deck. Fights have broken out. Sailors have refused to speak to each other. They have, there have been times when one group refused to acknowledge the presence of others on the ship. Most tragically, some adrift at sea have chosen not to board the boat because of the quarreling of the sailors. And that kind of leads me in the, in the last principle. And that is acknowledge and cherish your role in the church and preserve unity. Now, preserving unity, as we just saw in this story, which I think is a great example on how we do business in the church and how we get hung up on things that are not as important as we sometimes make them seem to be, is for us to keep our eyes on the divine, to keep our eyes on God and realize that this is his church. Realize that he made the atonement. Realize that he bought the church at a terrible expensive price and that we are all literally in the same boat. When I go to the, to the rescue mission, I st I, the first time I went, I, uh, I came as a doctor seeing his patients. And I had the feeling that I could straighten these guys out because I knew the cure to this all, and I do. The problem is, as much as I'm a doctor, I'm a patient myself. And as much as Jesus spilled his blood for me, he spilled, my, spilled his blood for all of you, even people that we don't consider to be worthy of our attention. You see, unless we come to the realization of this incredible, important truth. Unless we are able to keep our eyes on the divine, we will be quarreling and we will be, will be spinning our, uh, we're running after our own tail and spending our time uh, with, with unimportant things. In our, once again, in our membership class, we say this in a very simple way. We say we have unity on the essentials and we have liberty in the non-essentials. There's a couple of things and they're in the creed that we agree on. Jesus Christ is the Son of God. That's not up for argument. But if you want to drink real wine with communion, 
be my guest. If you want to go to a church that is loud, that's fine. If you want to, if you want to invite me, give me a set of earplugs and I will be glad to join you. You see, and ultimately, we have to keep our eye on what the goal of the church really is. And that brings us right back to point number two. Because the goal of the church is nothing less than to help people wrestle with this question about who Jesus is and why they need him. Let's, uh, let's pray. Lord, we, uh, we just want to thank you for your church. We want to thank you for the fact that you have created an institution that consists out of people who are set apart by you. Not because of what they have done, but because they have answered the calling in their lives. Lord, I want to pray for those people who are contemplating that. I want to pray for the people who have been wondering what it is that they're doing, why they're even here, why this relationship with Jesus is so important. Lord, we just want to pray that you will work in the lives of these people and that you will reveal that you are not just a boring church, but that you are a loving Father that wants to have relationship with us. Lord, you have made this possible through your Son, Jesus, and because of that, we are so glad, Lord. For those of us who have settled that and for those of us who call this place our home, Lord, let us go back to the basics from time to time and just be daring enough to wonder what we're doing here on Sunday mornings. Lord, it's, it's great, and it's all familiar faces, and we feel so, so good down here, and like the survey already said, we're a friendly bunch of people, and it's so good to be tapped on the back and, make, and, have, and feel that you're welcome. But there is so much more to the church, Lord. So help us to realize that we are part of Christ that we have more in common with the 80-year-old who relies on that grace as well, with the 17-year-old that goes to high school, Lord, that our identity is first of all in you. Lord, we want to think there's a time of confession as well because we have not always lived up to the fact that this church is yours and that you have bought it at a terrible price. We have squandered time talking about things that are not important. We have quarreled and argued about things that are not worthy. Lord, straighten us out and be and help us to represent you and represent you well, Lord. Father, we, we love you. We want to thank you for the fact that, uh, that you love us first and that you have provided a way to be one with you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.